Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. This week, we are joined by the great-grandson of England Ashes legend, Eddie Painter, and founder of the Painter footwear brand, David Painter. So we were able to connect with David and his team after our episode last year on the Bodyline series, and uh, we figured this would be a great opportunity to pick David's brain on the business side of the game. David is an ex-professional cricketer himself, and so we talked to him about his journey uh, from player to entrepreneur, the challenges associated with running a cricket-themed business, and uh, much, much more. So stay tuned for a very illuminating conversation with David. Uh, but let me bring in um, my co-hosts here before we get to that part. Uh, we have Mayank, but also the long-awaited return of one of our other co-hosts who's been missing an action, Nish. Uh, so we'll start with you, Nish. How have you been? We haven't heard from you in a while. I've been well. Um, thanks for asking, Benny. It's good to be back. Uh, but unfortunately, I am coming back at a sad time for cricket. So kind of mixed feelings right now. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, uh, initially, we were planning to talk about, you know, much happier things on this particular segment. But obviously, we've been rocked. The cricket world has been rocked with the news of uh, the untimely death of uh, legendary Australian cricketer Shane Warren. And I know that it has hit uh, hit us all in different ways. Um, and I'm just very curious about how you guys uh, have been processing the news because, you know, we've all, we're all cricket fans of a very specific era, uh, an era which, you know, Shane Wong was such a big part of. So for you, Nish, what was, um, what is your immediate reaction? How did you process it? And really, what do you feel about uh, Shane Wong, the cricketer? So my immediate reaction is similar to what most of us are going through at the moment. It's one of tremendous shock and a sense of, you know, gone too soon, right? Um, He was only 52 and as recently as last week, you know, he was on um, YouTube. I was checking out some of his uh, clips and, um, you know, for Fox, I believe, and and the next thing we know is, you know, he's no longer with us, right? So it, it's, I'm still trying to like process this loss. It's uh, hit me severely. And uh, growing up, um, they all watched a lot of Shane Wan, And, you know, and I remember even like uh, mimicking his action in, in you know, um, as a kid, like doing those fake bowling, right? Like, uh, so it's just, it's, it's hard to comprehend. And uh, I think, this will be felt for a while and it's going to take a little bit for us all to like, you know, pull ourselves together out of this loss here. Yeah. Shane Wan was such an interesting character. Um, you know, I think we grew up in the Indian subcontinent or in, you know, uh, around Indian people who respected the likes of uh, Sachin Tendulkar and Rahul Dravid and Anil Kumle, you know, the humble, hardworking people. And, the moment you saw somebody flashy and, and, you know, loud, that was almost judged, you know, think about Ricky Ponting or even to some extent, Steve Waugh. And yet there was this guy, Shane Warren, who, you know, was all of that. He was flashy. He was, you know, confident and uh, cocky to some extent. 
and yet he was widely respected and you know indian fans of all ages will will say he was definitely one of the best in the world so that's what makes him so interesting that you know he had a character which uh, you know many in in the indian cricket diaspora did not generally welcome but yet he was you know loved and adored by everyone and that came down to the fact that he was just a master of his skill you know you may not like what he said but it was just hard to look beyond his skill and his um, yeah just what he did on the field so yeah i think for a lot of people um, our age you know in in probably late 20s early 30s maybe even mid 30s they're all going to be thinking about um, all the wonderful spells that they've seen all the magic they've seen um, and sometimes even you know random comments of, of uh, where i remember this uh, seeing this clip recently where um his manager talked about him talking to an 8 year old while his manager was sitting in italy and randomly ran into this family who was a big who were big cricket fans and the 8 year old was a leg spinner um and shane warne not just talked to him at what it was 10 pm australia time for a good 10 15 minutes but he also said ask your dad to take a couple of videos of you bowling sideways as well as while you're facing you know bat while you're facing the batsman like you're facing the batsman and I'll critique it and I'll make sure you get into your uh, school team or or whatever he was playing and and that just shows that you know after you're such a big superstar you're loved by everyone you're adored by everyone you really don't have to do that like you can easily get right. away by saying yeah I don't need to do that extra interview or you know be nice to this kid but he was just you know he went out of his way <laughs> that's amazing all of, all of those things and that takes a lot of energy uh, and you know that just shows that it was his real love for the game and anybody who loved the game and given his insights during commentary for like you know the recently concluded series um and of course during big bash as well right like he's become a a prominent voice in our household as well right post his playing career so there are multiple warns and each warn was a a beacon of light right so yeah it's a it's a big loss yeah i've been trying to uh, process why this hits so hard for like for me because there are so many good cricketers there's so many great cricketers uh you, you know a lot of these teams have some legendary cricketers in them um and i was trying to think would i feel the same way if it was someone else and i can only think of probably two or three others um and i don't want to mention their names now but you know shane warne really transcended borders you know yes he was australian he was a leg spinner but none of that mattered to cricket fans of our era because to us he was just king size or life sized right like or uh, he he just somehow was more than just a regular cricketer he 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 was he was brash he was extremely confident he he always felt like he could take anybody on and he came up against some really good uh opponents uh you know the likes of uh, Sachin Tendulkar and Brian Lara and you know he had memorable duels and as indian fans you know it it's it was very easy to have your idols or your favorite players be indian almost like if people ask favorite batsman you would say sachin tendulkar or rahul dravid um 
favorite bowler. Maybe people would say Anil Kumble or Harvind Singh. It, it was very easy just because it was the way it was drummed into our heads that we are the best. So our players are the best. But someone like Shane Warren, there was no doubt that here is someone who's genuinely without a question, one of the best cricketers, not just of this time, but probably in the history of the game. Uh, he's one of the best players to have played. And even after his playing days, his influence was still there. You know, his memorable stint with IPL where he led Rajasthan Royals uh, to uh, this memorable win over, unfortunately, the Chennai Super Kings. And, uh, and then, of course, his commentary, which probably wasn't always something that everyone enjoyed, but you could not fault him for being very frank and expressing his opinions without coding it in some very you know politically correct or very boring speak um so for me i think that's what has really hit me the hardest because it's someone that you've seen in your childhood and you grew up and when you grow up uh, you know idolizing someone or following someone you just assume that they're always going to be around right you don't think of mortality you don't think of someone you know in the public eye dying even though that's obviously going to happen and in this case, you know, 52 is a, a pretty young age for anyone to die. And for him, especially for someone who's been an athlete, um, it, just, it just hits you. It just, it's just a sudden nature of everything. It's not like he was diagnosed with some sort of illness and, you know, we knew it was coming. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it has been hard to process. Um, but also, you know, I think it's important to remember the good things, the good times, um, the joy that he brought to so many people, the uh, the influence that he had on young cricketers who, you know, a lot of cricketers, you know, in their tributes, they have shared about how Shane Warren inspired them to take up, uh, you know, Lexman. So just those kind of incidents, I think that is the legacy that he leaves behind more than the number of wickets that he had taken, um, all the other shenanigans that's really part of Shane Warren, that's part of who he is. More than that, I feel like ultimately the way he interacted with fans, the way he passed his wisdom, the way he was able to read the game, analyze the game, all of that is what I hope you know. future generations of cricket fans uh, will remember. And thanks to YouTube, I'm, I'm confident that you know, you know, even people down in the, in the coming decades will be able to appreciate that. But yes, you know, for all those reasons that we kind of talked about, Shane Warren is going to be such an immense loss and you know unfortunately in cricket i feel like over the last few years we've lost quite a few people i mean just prior 24 hours prior to shane warren uh we got news that rodney marsh another australian legend had passed away and then in addition to dean jones who had passed away some time ago so there are so many losses um but I guess for us, it really hits close when it's someone that we've had more experience as far as watching them play and following them. And someone has been in the cricket spotlight, so to speak, even just till days before. So it is hard, um, but, you know, like life, cricket will move on and there will be other champion cricketers and other match-winning performances that will kind of occupy our memories and occupy our brain space but i think the legacy and memory of shane warren will continue to live just because of who he was and the impact that he had on cricket and everyone within it so farewell to shane warren 
and um, we will get to our conversation with David Painter right after this brief message. Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible array of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. So, David, I, I want to start with um, the Bodyline series. You know, that's really how it led to this moment where we are having this conversation with you. Uh, but your great-grandfather, Eddie sure. Painter, he has the seventh highest batting average in test cricket for any male batter who has played 20 or more tests. And, you know, his heroics in the Bodyline series of 32-33, mm-hmm. uh, as well as this ability to play horizontal bat shots, uh, well-documented. And, you know, we talked about him uh, in our previous episode on the Bodyline series. But I'm curious if you have any stories of him that was passed on to you, um, any stories that, you know, the public is not aware, but you think, you know, it's really fascinating, uh, would be fascinating for us to hear about. Yeah. Well, this this, this is a good question because I, I don't, I never met the guy. So he passed away before I was born but my father Mark obviously did meet him quite a lot and um, spent a lot of time with him so I rung my dad uh, the other day and just relayed this question because I thought well he's he's a perfect guy to uh, answer this so I've got a long list of of, of things please do dad, please go ahead <laughs> really random you know some of them good some of them you might think oh wow that's that's crazy but so I think while on the while on the bodyline tour, so just bringing that tour back in, um, he had a gun pulled on him in a bar. Yeah. Oh. Random. Okay. Just, these are just random, <laughs> random things that people probably won't know. <clears throat> well, you've started strong. Yeah, started strong. Why not? Um, just, I think it was the you know, I don't think anything came of it. It was just kind of it kind of happened. Um, there was another headline uh, in a paper that said Painter gives Larwood a black eye. Um, mm-hmm. But later, Larwood admitted that he walked into a door frame. But the ironic thing is that Larwood was this big six-foot-three opening bowler, and my great-granddad was like five-foot-four tiny. Yeah. Um, so it, it would never have happened, you know. Right. He's, Hardly he's, believable. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <clears throat> um, 
back to his cricketing days. Um, he made 322 in one day against Sussex. Uh, and he still managed to have a, a beer in the bar before the day's play had finished. Of course. 300, 322 in one day. <laughs> that's, that's madness. Um, he scored 100 against every county but Somerset. So he's got a century against every every. Yeah, he lost the tops of his two fingers um, when he was young in the brickyard. So he he actually had lost the top uh, knuckles of his two fingers, and obviously went on to still have the career that he had, which is incredible, really, because you've got to catch the ball and right. It must have affected him as you know that bad, really. Um, my, my dad always used to tell me. It was it was quite short. Well, it's very short actually. A little short, left-handed, quite very powerful. He used to put a coin on his on his wrist as a bit of a trick, and he used to be able to snap his wrist in a direction, and the coin used to move and and like flip over because his his forearms were so strong. Um, he used to be able to his tendons in his arm were were used so much as a when he was batting that he used to be able to move a coin. When he when he um, snapped his wrists, okay. that was pretty cool. Um, he played competitively until he was sixty six, uh, and and at sixty six years old, he was he came second in the averages. I think uh, hmm. that's in like a in league cricket. Um, Nineteen thirty seven, he scored two thousand nine hundred and four runs in the season, an average of fifty three point seven seven. Wow, uh, which is just incredible! Just shot of three thousand runs in in first class cricket. That is just. I played with Mike Hussey once, and he he scored. I think he scored over two thousand when I was at Northants. He had an incredible season, and I thought that was a lot of runs. And obviously, this is <laughs> almost a thousand more runs. Um, I think Ben Stokes broke his record just recently. Um, 243 against South Africa. So that record stood for almost 80 years, mm. which is which is a good effort. Um, and then I'll finish with the last one, which is a little bit of a trick um, thing, but it was back at Old Trafford and he hit a six out of the ground back in the day. And the ball ended up on a train and ended up in, in Blackpool. So... He hit a six, which went 70 miles. <laughs> so oh, wow. could actually claim that the ball went 70 miles, but obviously it got caught in a train and ended up in Blackpool. I feel like I've heard about that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently that's, 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 the, that's, the, that's the truth. So, yeah, that's quite a big six. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's incredible that if your great-grandfather played, let's say even it's sometime in the last 10, 15 years, I feel like you would have been a huge social media sensation yeah. in terms my, of achievements. Yeah, my dad said he was quite a vain guy as well. Quite quite uh-huh. into himself, <laughs> which I don't mind. He uh, would have been perfect for Twitter. <laughs> he said he to me on the call to my dad, he said he'd loved seeing what I've done with the brand and the brand yeah. called Painter. He would have absolutely loved that. He said it was all about that, which was quite, you know, he's never said that to me. So I was like, okay. I didn't really, you know, I didn't think of him as that type of guy, but he said, yeah, he said would it would be all over that. He said he'd loved seeing it go far and wide and be on players' feet. And 
you know, in different countries where he played. Um, yeah. So I think he'd have, he'd have he'd have really been proud. I think, yeah, definitely. Was that always a huge influence for you then, uh, growing up, like uh, as a child? Were you always surrounded by those stories of his exploits, and it, was that what ultimately led you to be involved with cricket? Um, yeah, I guess so. My dad, my dad, and and his dad, my granddad, they always told me a lot about him. And back in those days when I was young, we always had a lot of memorabilia for, for him. So, I mean, the the biggest one, which we don't actually have as a family now, was the ball that he, he hit for six to win the Ashes um, out in Australia, which is a, it's a nice story that when he hit the ball to win the game, a young uh, boy ended up picking the ball up. Um, but then the captain, I think Doug, uh, Douglas Jardine, um, shouted out to um, like their team manager and said, look, we want that ball back and go find that ball because we want it. We want to present it to Eddie um, for, for his heroics. So they went to this young man in the crowd and they offered this young man like a full signed shirt by both teams in, in exchange for the ball. And, and you know, obviously he was over the moon, so he did that. And and then they all presented the ball with a nice placard on for my great-granddad with, with his achievements and things on two bats, which was like it was placed on top of the bats, which... Unfortunately, we don't have as a family now. It's owned by a collector down in London, and it's worth an absolute fortune. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I I was around all that, and I guess I was quite young. But cricket was just in the family, you know. My dad played quite a lot. Uh, my granddad played a little bit, and obviously my great granddad played at a fantastic standard. So I think I just had the bug and and the gene. Um, <laughs> and it, it certainly wasn't a chore. I was always out, like you. Any time I got, I was out on the road or the street hitting a ball, a tennis ball, whatever I could get my hands on with my friends. Endless. So I I just loved the game, I think. I I played all sports, but I think cricket kind of, you get to that age, don't you? You're like maybe 13, 14, something. And I was good at quite a few sports and I had to kind of choose which one I really wanted to make a goal at. Um, And cricket came out on top, obviously. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, David, how did the idea of, you know, the painter brand come along? Um, I guess, you know, I've seen a lot of people who run their own businesses and they're very entrepreneurial right from the beginning. Uh, but it's obviously not the same as doing a, you know, nine to five job. So uh, it's got its different challenges. And and you mentioned your your interest and your family's interest in cricket. So um, was that the influence, or was it a mix of both? Nah, yeah, good question. Um, I I wouldn't necessarily say I was entrepreneurial as a young as a youngster. I was all about sport. I was all about cricket, more or less. So that's all I wanted to do when I got asked at school what I wanted to do as a career. It was like cricket. And, and they used to laugh at me and go, you know, what do you want to do for a real job? Um, but, you know, I ended up playing cricket, so that's that's a good thing. But I think when cricket stopped, you gather a lot. You're just doing what you love all the time. So it's all in my head. I know everything about the game and what's going on and things. But I went off then and worked just a normal job, you know, and, and, and then went into the family business a little bit and became 
more of a, a manager at a flooring company and nothing really, you know, out there ordinary, you know, just, just normal stuff. Um, but then the time came, I'd done that long enough and I just made a decision, spoke to my wife, then just said, um, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's just not what I want to do. You know, it's not good enough for me. I'm better than this. I want to do something else with my life, but I ain't got a clue what it is. So I, I left that job on a decent salary. I had, um, I just had a baby. So I had two, two young kids at the time. My wife, uh, she's a nurse. So she had kind of the steady wage. So there was kind of one, the one of us that had the security. And I, I guess I was the more risk taker. So, I guess that allowed me to make that decision a little bit easier. But I think I've done a lot of podcasts and, I, and the, the big thing is a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't have made that decision just to, to stop things because I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I ended up driving a van and sweeping a floor and doing what I could do to, to, to bring in a little bit of money while looking after the kids um, for a good year and a bit, which was, which was not nice really as a, as a man when you want to be that um, breadwinner, I guess, you know, and, and support yeah. your family. So I feel like that time in my life was what made, um, I had that light bulb moment then, you know, something in me must have triggered and said, look, I've got all this knowledge about cricket and what's going on and this and that and why, what people are using equipment and <clears throat> what they wear on the feet. And then I guess just two and two got, added together and and you know this light bulb moment came on and I said well there's a reason why these guys are doing this and adapting trainers and they're not buying the trainers off the shelf that the brands are producing and there's a gap there there's something there that if I could build my own brand and develop my own shoe and find a factory somewhere then I think it's a winner I, well I know it's a winner absolutely nobody could say otherwise to me although everybody did. Um, and <laughs> I think I had one supporter, which was my wife and children at the time and said, look, just go for it. You know, we've got a little bit of savings, which was, um, you know, my wife had a steady job so we could pay the bills. And she just said, try it. If you never try it, you're never going to know. So I did it, you know, and that, and that, that was the whole start of creating this footwear cricket brand because I had a few friends in the game. Um, a few quite big personalities that I could call upon um, and use them to launch with. And I knew what was needed. I just needed to get my business brain on them because I didn't know anything about building a brand or a business or logistics or financing or selling or anything to do with that. I had to learn everything the hard way, just researching, Googling, making mistakes, um, you know, and, and that was tough. That was really tough. But yeah, so that, that kind of moved on and I found a factory in China. Um, they knew nothing about cricket. So that just made the job 10 times harder. <laughs> um, trying to explain what the game was. And I never forget, my wife just said, um, why, don't you, why don't you book a flight out and go see these guys in China? And I was like, seriously? I said, can we afford to do that? She would just do it, Dave. Like, I know you're getting frustrated and stressed and you, you, you're not getting the answers you're looking for and the, the samples are not what you want. So just do it. So I think it cost like six or 700 pounds at the time, which was a lot of money. <clears throat> and I got on a plane by myself and just went to see these guys in China. And it was the best move I ever did. I got so much more done in a week 
than I'd got done in in the past six months. You know, so they understand they understood what a bowler did, for example, and the forces that went through the shoe and that went into the front leg and the movements that the, the sideways, the lateral, the, the up and down and what a batter does and why he needs to have, you know, some spikes in the front, but maybe not some in the back, you know, that kind of thing. And they, they actually understood what I was trying to create. Um, so that helped me. That was one of the best decisions I'd ever made is to visit the factory. And th- and I try and do that every year, at least once a year now. COVID, <laughs> if, if COVID weren't there, I'd, 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 be, I'd already be there. But um, yeah, COVID's made that hard. And we're still with that factory now. So that's a real success story in itself. And we, we have got other factories uh, in India and as a golf factory in Taiwan as well. But we've still got the same factory in China. So touch wood, uh, they, they understand the game now and they're getting better each year in, in terms of product development. So so it sounds like uh, you owe a lot of your success to your wife's encouragement and constant motivation. And that's pretty important though, right? Because just starting any business, first of all, is always a hard task. And I feel like cricket, it's almost niche. Even in a cricketing country like England, uh, you know, that's not necessarily the big field when it comes to sports or, you know, athletic shoes. Um, so that was very important, right? Like you needed that support and encouragement because I feel like you're just probably just giving us a fraction of the hardships that wow. you had to face when getting started. Absolute fraction. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd, we'd be here all day if I, I could tell you all the <laughs> downs. But yeah. that's, that's that's what... I think when you when it's all you've got or when you feel like it's all you've got and you have to make it work, you, your back's up against the wall, you just do what you have to do to, to right. make it a success. Um, and I don't feel like you can teach that. You know, you just have to experience it. I had to experience it. And you, and you have meltdowns and breakdowns and you need that person there to to support you, that one rock, so, so I like to call her. And she has been from day one and still is to, today, you know, so... I never had the luxury of having a, a co-founder, really, which would have been nice. But um, I, I can't. I guess she was my co-founder, <laughs> um, so I, I had to bounce things off her and and get that reassurance off her now and again when the chips were down or something went wrong or they made it wrong or whatever, you know. Because there's, there's there's countless things that have that have gone on with us. Um, but yeah, she's she's been gold. Um, I, I I don't think the brand would be here now if it weren't for her because I'd have probably done what people said and you know when when the chips were down or the times were tough you know sacked it and and gone down a different route or gone and got a different job so uh, yeah. the brand and myself or her a lot for that as well. Yeah, and and you've built a solid product, and I I don't just say that because you're here. I am actually a user of Painter Shoes myself. Um, I play club cricket in the US, and I've been using it for a couple of seasons now. So um, really solid product for sure. Um, But I think the other thing that's probably, uh, you know, on my mind is you talked about doing research, figuring out, you know, going to China as as an example to figure out uh, what, what kind of product you're going to make, what are, what are the costs, how to be competitive? Um, how do you go about the next part, which is what probably you know matters even more, which is how do you actually sell the product? So how do you go about that and uh, just take us through a journey of, you know, as you mentioned, you know, reaching out to people who could be ambassadors or any other steps that you took? 
Yep, yep. That's uh, and that, and that's that is important. You know, you've got to developing a product is just one part of it. Um, I feel like the the <clears throat> building a brand is really tough. You know, really, really tough. A, a lot of people can design a logo and put it on a shirt or a, or even some shoes for that matter, which are even harder to make. But you know, developing a brand that means something to somebody is really tough, and you've got to have a lot of things going to for that brand to really work and and i feel like we've we've done that you know we've got the passion we've got me at the head which people can actually relate to and i think it's just fitting that the name is my name um we've got a fantastic backstory and the heritage in the brand which you can't buy that you know you either have that or you don't you know and we're lucky enough to have all these stories from back in the day and my great grandfather and the body line and then myself playing first class cricket and all that kind of thing and we like to I think all those together and, and I always wanted to be different I wanted to be different to every other cricket brand that had been and footwear brand I wanted to be 21st century and transparent and show people what we do and all this and how we sell shoes and who we're dealing with and what our players are doing and be more visual and social media with things like that <clears throat> because I felt like cricket as a as a sport was really stuck in its ways, you know, and a little bit old school. And it was time to to move with the times, like the other sports, the basketballs and the footballs and, you know, that kind of thing. So I felt like the sport made it a little bit easier for me to jump into that market and create a brand because I, f- I feel like if I'd have been a football player, that would have been tough. You know, when, when you've got Nike and Adidas and, and the big brands spending millions and millions each year on R&D and, and ambassadors, then it don't give you much of a window to get in now that did that wasn't happening in cricket and that was probably a little bit of luck i think you do need luck in whatever you do so so the gaps were there you know yes the brands were there asics and nike and and adidas and asics and uh, puma you know the big big billion dollar brands but for some reason they weren't focusing on it they were just outsourcing it or licensing it and you know they were just very much focused on look what's the return you know we were more than that. We wanted to really communicate with that customer and it's me and you, you know, like we're talking now and we were that new age brand because the time was right. You know, nobody was doing that. And I felt like timing was key and, and you know, that was a little bit of credit to myself for, for doing it at that time and spotting that gap. Cause you do have to spot the gap, but then you have to also spot the gap in the marketing as well. So you have to market that product and, do it like nobody's done it before. There's a little story when we first started, um, which emphasizes that really we found a digital marketing marketing company and I had all the shoe finally, after years of development, we had this shoe and my dad dad was helping me at the time. And um, I said, right, I've spoke to this digital marketing company and and I've got, I want to do this 3D render and it's got music behind it and it's all spinning and it's showing all the USPs of the shoe and, what what's going to do what it's going to do for you and why it does this and why it does that and my dad was like how much is it going to cost <laughs> and i went don't ask how much it's going to cost it's quite expensive but it's worth it so that was the difference from his era to my era he couldn't understand why we just didn't take a few photos and launch the thing and it's like no that's what everybody does we can't do that we need to do something bigger and better and focus on things that people aren't doing and it's going to cost a little bit of money, but we're going to get those rewards back 
when we build a brand. Um, and, and that takes a little bit of explaining to a different era of um, business. You know, it's, it's definitely a modern way to do business and you're creating value to, to your brand, which you could go on forever, you know, doing that. And look at these brands now, the companies who, who don't, they don't even make profit and they're worth billions and billions and billions because they're so big. They take so much market share up and, and they're, they're just needed. So they're worth a lot of money in terms of a, a an asset, but they don't necessarily make profit. Now, back in the day, it's all about, well, how much do you, you know, I sell something for a pound and I, uh, I buy it for a pound and I sell it for two. And that's the way it was done. Whereas I feel like business these days is done slightly different sometimes. So yes, you do need to make profit, but it's not the be all end all when you're trying to create a brand. The other thing too is for you as a founder, um, is also the validation from people who use the products. Like Mike just mentioned that he, he's been using this even long before uh, we had you on this show. But do you get feedback from cricketers who use your shoes and does that give you an extra sense of validation for all the hard work that you've put into this brand? Oh, absolutely. We've just, we've just done it now with the latest range, the XPF range, which is the best range we've ever done. And we're just waiting for the, the shoes, the delayed problems. <laughs> but, you know, it's just something you've, I've got thick skin now, so I'm used to it. It's all part of the business. <laughs> I know, honestly, when, when you've got thousands of pairs of shoes that need to go out, it's so stressful. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it, it's out of my hands. So, um, but we got, we got like a handful of samples in or of that stock, 20, 30 pairs before the containers left to send out to people the the we had quite a, a lot of people i can't really name names but a lot of international people who wanted the shoes to try them you know and, and that's for me i'm all about product you know so that's kind of the year's work done you know when when rashid khan i can obviously name rash and you know he, he loves the shoes it's the best shoes he's had and other players are like these are these are amazing these are so much you know better than your last shoe you know i didn't think you could do but these are you know more lightweight and better materials and for me that is just that's the pinnacle really because when you get these guys at the top of the game say these kind of words to you it's what you work for and you know somebody like that you know rashid for example you, i don't know i don't think you can get better than that really you know that's kind of what you you that's why i do what i do you know yeah. And I think if it's good enough for him, you've got to think, well, everything comes from the top downwards, really. And and in terms of selling as well, you know, if if, it, if this guy validates it and, and represents it, then your first class players are going to do the same and then your league players are going to do the same and then your gra ground roots are going to do the same and your kids are going to do the same. So that's kind of that mechanism. So you do have to target these guys and, and get some of these on board. Sometimes not monetary ways, but different ways because you have to do that as a challenger brand because funds are tight. You don't have the budgets of the big brands. So right. you've got to, you've, you've got to look at doing things differently. <laughs> you've got a lot of balls in the air all the time. Um, yeah. But that's where, that's where I think the brand excels. It, it stems from these guys at the top and it really ends up going down to the bottom and the kids. Um, right. And that is so important because like I said, the product is first and foremost, because you're you're working or you're in a very competitive environment where you're competing with these other big brands and all these uh and if we stick to cricket 
you know, a lot of the star cricketers, they are sponsored by, you know, these bigger brands. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they're taken up. They may not necessarily like the product, but there's a lot of money coming in. So just sign up for it. So it's like, how do you break through that? And the only way you can do that is through your product. Make sure your product is great and that will take care of it. Or is that too simplistic? No, no, you're absolutely right. You know, I've had I've had some of the best players drop me a, a DM and say, "Can I try you? Can I try your shoes?" You know, and I'm like, "Wow, is this guy not in contract or something mm-hmm. like that?" And I don't know a lot. I guess I have I have quite a lot of pulling power being me in the brand, so I find it a little bit easier targeting these guys, and that's part of my job role. You know, because you know it's no good somebody in the office doing it who nobody knows, and then dropping somebody a, a, a message, and they're just gonna ignore it. You know, whereas I think it's got a little bit more pulling power when I drop them as an ex-professional as well and and the founder of the brand to say, look, you know, we've got these new shoes. Can can you give them a try? And that's that's kind of the route I go down. You know, it's just, look, all, all I'm asking is to try the product out because then you're relying on your product being as good as you say it is. And, you know, a lot of these guys, th- th- yes, you're right. There's a few guys that you can't touch. Uh, your callers and and people like that who are just wrapped up and they're, they're in big money deals, and that's cool. You know, I don't need those guys. You know, I, you don't need everybody. So, but there's a hell of a lot of players out there that you'd be surprised in footwear in particular, because again, one of the reasons I went into footwear was, you know, there's not much. You don't have to really pay the guys to to use your footwear. It's, it's probably going to go that way eventually. And there's more and more money coming into it. Don't get me wrong. But compared to bats and pads and gloves where, you you, you know, your first class players are going, I want this and I want that and I want this. Whereas shoes, they just say, oh, yeah, I'm happy with, give me two or three pairs of shoes. I'm happy. So uh, I'm like, cool, happy, happy to do that. So that makes my job a little bit easier, getting shoes on these big players' feet. But you're right. It does boil down to, it boils down to product. Um, and I feel like we've done the hard work now to build this brand. We've got this brand now, which we're just, it's just about to burst and it's just about to go into the stratosphere, you know? So I think the next couple of years for us, especially in these emerging markets and the product getting better and better, the stars, I mean, you know, the, the superstars are coming to us more and more now <clears throat> because they're understanding that the brand's getting better, the product's getting better and we're growing as a brand. So they want to be associated with this. And, moving slightly off cricket we, we expand into different sports as well so for example the golf a lot of these guys love golf so it's like okay can i get a pair of golf shoes and that and sometimes that's like you know the bargaining tool to get them on board with a cricket for example so yeah. it, it's not rocket science really what what i'm doing it it's just i think that i go back to building this brand and the brand the value is attracting these people and these players which is now growing the brand into a, a bigger beast. And then everything does become easier. You know, imagine being Adidas or Nike, you know, it's not, it can't be hard for them guys to get people <laughs> because you just say, well, I'm Nike and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, where do I sign? <laughs> but yeah. So kind of like that on a, on a smaller scale, but I feel like we're doing a, we're doing a damn good job with the resources we have as a team. And and do you always? Uh, I guess you mentioned Nike and Adidas and and those bigger brands. So 
you mentioned there was, you know, when you were starting, there was a gap in the market specific to cricket shoes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they're also, they've also realized that and they're also working on improving that gap? Or do you think you're, you know, there's only a couple of very good cricket specific players? Um, yeah, I'd like to think we've um, forced their hand a little bit as well in this. And I think we have done. I think a lot of the brands who have been in the game a lot longer than I have would just kind of sat on the laurels a little bit and just taking it easy a little bit, maybe, so to speak. And then we came on and we kind of blew on the scene a little bit. And and like I said, quite 21st century, quite modern, quite innovative. Um, great, great branding, great looking shoes, you know, were different to what they were. And I feel like that's really give them a wake up call. And I, I see shoes now in the in the market that I think that looks a lot like what we've done, and there's there's the colorways <laughs> and there's the styling that we've done, and, and and you know look that's cool. You know we all take inspiration from different brands, and I'm not saying they can't do that because anyone can do. You know everyone looks at different brands, but yeah, I definitely think we've 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 been the disruptor in the in the game, and the big brands have definitely took taken note of us. Um, since we've arrived, but yeah, that look, there's some good idea, make some great shoes. Um, ASICs are, uh, you know, make some great shoes, but sometimes these big brands, they're just not focused really enough on cricket. So that's the gap as well. That lets me in a little bit more where ASICs, for example, you know, you, I think you can only buy ASICs now in, in Australia. So they've just limited it for whatever reason probably made at board level decision that you can only buy ASICs in Australia. So, you know, but they're a fantastic running brand, you know, they'll do billions in running, you know, and night coming in, night coming out, you know, different brands coming in, different brands going out. These guys are all focused and the majority of their revenue comes from football, basketball, American football, you know, that kind of thing, running, athleisure. Right. Whereas I feel like we as a brand, we're very small compared to them. So, you know, my focus will always be cricket. Whatever sports we go in will always be cricket. That is the core of our business. Uh, Yes, we're attracting different people from different sports, but the brand's um, birthplace is always going to be cricket. So that's what we're focused on. And that's what connection we want with our customer and our player. And I feel like that we do have that over the other brands. And I I feel like that we're always going to have that, to be honest. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think... Having the variety and, and going you know wider obviously is easier for a bigger brand, but I think that's where you know your knowledge and your depth of mm. the game probably puts you uh, at an advantage. Um, I guess yeah. the other thing that we've thought about is you know cricket obviously requires a lot of equipment. Um, so I think the first thing I thought about was have you thought about other cricket goods? Because yes, shoes you definitely felt like there was a market. Mm. Um, and there's so many different, uh, you know, manufacturers for cricketing equipments, which are popular. But do you see any other equipment that, you know, isn't top quality, which you feel you can also uh, expand to? Um, yeah, I, th- I feel like we're getting to the point now where we're making the brand strong enough to diversify into equipment. And, and that is definitely something on our radar in the next year or so. Um we like to try and be innovative as much as we can. Um, look, we, you can't redesign the wheel, but there's always something, and I, obviously I can't say what we're doing, but 
again, with my cricket brain and, and the knowledge, I always feel like there's gaps, you know, in different um, areas. <clears throat> you know, cricket bats are tough. You know, end of the day, the bats are bat. And, you know, I, I know as a, as a player, there's, there's a lot of good bats out there. Um, you know, yes, they've changed over the years, but now, you know, the majority of these these willow bats are fantastic. You know, the big, chunky, lightweight, pick up, great, nice. You can have your sweet spot where you want. Um, I think there's only so much you can do in terms of it's probably regulated as well with cricket bats. But I feel like there's there's definitely some things we can do in clothing and in and equipment, softs, um, which is going to be on our focus, on our radar very soon. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely that's up there. But, you know, I think for people starting as well in the game, you know, you don't necessarily need to be fully kitted out. You know, I, I remember yeah. I just played, I just started off with a, a an old bat and a tennis ball. Um, and we used to put tape on the tennis ball. Not if you guys have done that. We, we've done that, yes. <laughs> many times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, as a starting, starting kid, you know, you can just have a bat and a ball. You know, and that's yeah. that's how you start the game. And then you can progress into buying footwear and pads and gloves and bats and helmets. Uh, I think if it's if it's the sport for you and you really want to try and make a go of it, then you can invest in some more equipment as you go. Right. Um, and then I think one of the, as you mentioned, you know, cricket being a more equipment intensive sport in, as compared to, say, soccer or even basketball, for that mm -hmm. matter, um, you know, requires people to have once they get started, once they're, you know, trying to play at a decent level requires them to have more equipment, maintain that equipment, because uh, I've seen too many young kids in India whose parents can't, can't afford to buy them a bat every two years, mm -hmm. get them a really big, heavy bat, which really just spoils their batting because, you know, they they just can't handle it at that age. So keeping that in mind, obviously, you have to run a business and make sure you're, you know, making a profit. But have you thought of creating ways of helping communities, which, um, you know, might be, might not be able to afford this equipment yeah i mean we do we already we already have a few charities and and organizations that we um try and help out like you say there's only so much you can do like we do get a lot of requests for free stuff um from from a lot of people but we've teamed up with a few organizations um uh, what was bat, uh, bat for chance um there's the, an ace program um which is um, it supports diverse talent <coughs> at grassroots level. Um, so, and we've got uh, Gary Kirsten Foundation, I think, in South Africa. We don donate, donated quite a lot of shoes. Um, there's a competition called the One, which is a girls all girls competition. Which, again, we we donate product to the girls to to really incentivize women's cricket. Um, so we try and do what we can, and that's I I like doing that. But obviously, you you can't just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It it does make you feel good when you 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 feel like you can give product and people you know that they're absolutely ecstatic. They're over the moon to just get a free pair of shoes, and and you know a few little bits and bats, accessories, caps, and things like that. So th there's no better feeling really for me. But yes, we are limited to what we can do. But we always look to if we if we have any faulty stock or any uh, leftover stock for for. For example, then we will look to gift it to a charity, you know, free of charge, and and help them get into the game. So, staying on uh, the topic of helping communities, 
Um, you know, one of the things about being a business owner or a brand, um, you know, being a creative <clears throat> brand, uh, it comes with its own responsibilities and expectations. Uh, so keeping that in mind, you know, like Yorkshire cricket uh, over the last few months has been dealing with the aftermath of the explosive allegations by uh, former player Azim Rafiq. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of upheaval since then with, you know, players and coaches and and it's still being felt. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is more about looking forward and what kind of changes uh, can be made from the perspective of someone involved in the community. So I'm sure, you know, like you were talking about, we, we were talking more about the business aspect of it as far as yep. providing equipment and enabling communities uh, to have the resources to play the game, but also f- as far as someone who's involved in the grassroots, as someone involved in the community where you are, what kind of structural changes are needed to make this a more equal game, to make this a more a place where people can just join and play the game that they love without having to deal with any kind of discrimination yeah, or harassment. Yes. I guess, yeah, tough, tough. I mean, Yorkshire's been through a lot <laughs> recently. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes my opinion on it is sometimes people and organizations get stuck in their ways a little bit. So, and I felt like that was kind of the problem at Yorkshire. Um, and obviously, things developed from Rafiq's uh, situation and I think things maybe got overlooked. So I feel like the it's all about the people involved in the organization. So if you get the right people involved that really want to grow the game and there's no discrimination there and it's all, it's diverse, it's for everybody, you know, no matter what color you are or what gender you are or anything like that, you know, I think you've got to be open-minded, you know, and you, you, you've, you know, you've got to move with the times. Otherwise, you are going to come across times like this with Rafiq and it's going to come and bite you on the ass, you know, mm-hmm. which I feel like it has done with Yorkshire in a way. Now, I think Yorkshire will come back stronger um, and they'll, they'll definitely become more diverse from this. But it's been, a, it's been definitely a tough lef- lesson for them to to go through. No, I, I just feel uh, to, to your point, what you said and the sense that I, I'm getting from all of the observations that I've made myself is that you're right. Ultimately, it comes down to people. You know, yeah. people are part of the system. They make up the system. Yes. But if you change individuals or you change individual attitudes, that will start to filter through. And I don't think any of these changes are going to make an immediate difference. It'll, it'll still take time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like what's what's happened or what it has led to is a lot of the counties uh taking steps taking action to almost emphasize the importance of inclusivity and making some changes so as um uncomfortable as this may have been for yorkshire cricket i think it has led to some good uh consequences or it has led to some good effects across the board where everyone is more conscious and more aware so if there's anything to come out of this you know very sad affair is that People are more aware now of the yeah. different people that make up the game that you love. And I'm not just, you know, I don't want to make this all about just England or just about Yorkshire and all kinds of discrimination exist in cricket. And I'm not even yeah. going to go into like women's cricket or even like associate cricket. There's just a lot of uh, uh, inequality, which it will always take time. But uh, 
eventually, you know, as long as the right people are in the right position, um, you know, change will come through. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely right. Yeah, it's 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 probably um, a good thing out of a bad thing, and I think good will come of this because, yeah, like you say, all the counties have to look at their own structure and their own organisation and question it or not question it and make sure that they're doing the right things, you know, and that all the people get opportunity because that right. there's hella cricketers out there, you know, in every walk of life. So, you know, I feel like that's, that's going to really help the game. I think in the long run, um, in, and that'll filter down into league cricket and, um, junior cricket as well. So like you say, it takes time, you know, it's not going to happen overnight and it's, kind of raw this it's quite quite um it's quite a new thing but i know yorkshire for one of of making changes and um appointing different people in different positions to try and combat that change so that's definitely um a plus point well said well david we want to thank you so much for your time uh, you know we know you're a very busy man and you've been all, all also you've been dealing with some minor health issues so uh <laughs> We're glad you made some time for us. Uh, for our listeners, please do check out painter.com. That is P-A-Y-N-T-R.com uh, for more information on the performance enhancing cricket shoes and other accessories that David and his team have come up with. And trust me, if you are someone who's been frustrated with the lack of specialist footwear in cricket, you will want to check them out. So David, thank you so much again for your time and we wish you the best. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Last Wicket. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts Benny, Mayank, Nish, and Himanish. For more details, please visit thelastwicket.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate, and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening, and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.